Thank you for braving the cold and the smell of propane. I promise it was worse earlier. But it's not as bad now. If you have your Bible, uh, John and 2 Corinthians is where I'm going to be just for uh, a very short time uh, and kind of chew on a, a thought that those verses bring up. Uh, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, that's, a, that's a powerful verse, and it is the, the heart of, of Christmas, and here we are a few days after Christmas, and uh, that sort of theme is, is on our mind. It, the God, good choice of songs, Jeff, God stepped down into time to write the story of His love for us, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, and uh, joy to the world, uh, word of the Father now in flesh appearing. That this is when when we see and understand Jesus, when we think about Jesus, and I think it's important for us, especially around the time of Christmas. And and the point of the message tonight is to to carry on that thought that God came into our world, stepped into time, stepped into space in the person of Jesus and word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. And, and here, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Um, and in Philippians, it talks about how how, Christ, how Jesus became, he, he left heaven to, to come and, and dwell dwell among us. And the, the theme there is there, the essence of God was personified in Jesus. And so I, I want us to, to connect with that understanding, with that thought. And 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by His poverty He might become rich. Context of that. 2 Corinthians 8 is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, talking to them about how to live like Jesus. And how to live like Jesus is to give like Jesus gave. Gave of Himself, Gave of his deity. Do we, do we connect with that thought? He gave of himself, and he gave of his deity, and he gave of his glory and his power, so he could come down to this earth and take the form of Jesus. Then that word "form" is the essence, and so Christ came and took on the essence of 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 man, and so that we could see and experience and know God, and. The, the context of 2 Corinthians 8 is Paul talking to a church saying, if you want to be like Jesus, give like Jesus gave. Um, I'm going to quote uh, a couple of books tonight that are uh, extended quotes. This one comes from a, a, a classic in Christian literature named called Knowing God from a guy named J.I. Packer. Um, uh, Try and put this quote up on, on the blog or something because it's, it's pretty long and you don't have it in front of you and it won't be on the screen. But here's what it says. For the Son of God to empty himself and become poor meant a laying aside of glory. It meant a voluntary restraint of power, an acceptance of hardship, isolation, isolation ill treatment, malice, and misunderstanding. And finally, a death that involved such agony, spiritual even more than physical, that his mind nearly broke on the prospect of it. It meant 
love to the uttermost for unlovely men who, through his poverty, might become rich. The message of Christmas is hope for a ruined humanity. Let that one dwell in your mind for a second. The message of Christmas is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. It is the most wonderful message that the world has ever heard or will hear. The theme of Christmas is that Jesus came to this planet to live among us. The rich became poor. And the, the, the concept here for us to, to connect our hearts with, to, to walk out of these doors with, is to give like Jesus gave. In order to give like Jesus gave, I, I want to read the, the rest of this quote. We talk glibly about the Christmas spirit, rarely meaning more by this than sentimental jollity on a family basis. A lot of times we talk about Christmas spirit and what that means to us is decorated sugar cookies and waking up in your pajamas and hanging out all day with your family. That's the Christmas spirit, family or, or giving. Ultimately, what the Christmas spirit really means, but what we have said, J.I. Packer says, but what we have said makes it clear that the phrase Christmas spirit should in fact carry a tremendous weight of meaning. It ought to mean the reproducing of human lives, the temper of him who for our sakes became poor at the first Christmas. That's the statement and a, a beautiful quote. The heart of the Christmas spirit means this, reproducing in human lives the temper of him who for our sakes became poor. That's what discipleship is about. It's to reproduce in lives what God has first produced in us through the person and work of Jesus. And the Christmas spirit itself ought to be the mark of every Christian all year round. So the, read that, that overwhelming phrase to, to my mind. It ought to mean reproducing in human lives the temper of Him, Christ, who for our sakes became poor at the first Christmas. So reproducing starts with something being produced in us. And that's what I want to spend our time tonight talking about. I'm going to reread those verses with that understanding of who Jesus is and trying to have that be produced in us and then reproducing that in human lives. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through that though He was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by His poverty He might become rich. The idea of Christmas should shape three things for our lives all year long. First is mission. And, and think about the, the context of 2 Corinthians 8-9. Is it for our sakes He became poor. And God has given us specific missions. And, and it's, it's three things that, that I can think of very quickly, very easily. Uh, we're going to begin a, a series. Uh, we'll get back into Mark in either next week or, or the week after and, and finish up the book of Mark and then begin a series on the church and on mission. And so we want to uh, give uh, resources to, to each of us so we can live these lives of mission. The first for us is family. Your parents, your kids, your spouse, extended family, all those things work together to, to give us 
our, our mission. God has called you and placed you in the family that he has placed you so that you can begin to reproduce in their lives what Christ has produced in your lives. That's what the Christmas spirit is about. And what that means is giving of yourself. Go back to the context that I, I talked about in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul is talking to them to give the Corinthian church. He's saying, I want you to give like Christ gave. And what that means is giving your life, giving your money, giving who you are, what God has done in you, giving that away to people that he has placed you in and among. And there are specific things that Christ has placed you in and among. And one is your family. I, a, a couple of years ago, uh, you guys know I, I go two, spend two weeks teaching at, at Super Summer every summer. There was a, a kid named John who uh, uh, we caught doing something that he wasn't supposed to do. Uh, and uh, instead of sending him home, his punishment was that he had to hang out with me for two hours every day in the middle of the afternoon. When everybody else got to go have fun, uh, we were sitting in my, my dorm talking, talking about gospel and talking about life, and um, he broke uh, at the beginning of the second day of that conversation. And we began to talk about how God had called him specifically to a particular mission. And this kid was messed up, but God had, had, had captured his heart that first night that second night at Super Summer. And uh, so we began to, to talk, and uh, his mom, his dad was like a, a, a music minister at a, at a big church in Kansas City someplace, and uh, his mom had, had just been diagnosed bipolar, and had spent like three years in the depths of depression not knowing what was going on, and they just diagnosed her as bipolar, and she had totally removed herself from her husband, totally removed herself from her whole family, but somehow... She had allowed this kid, who was 16 at the time, and into drugs and just messed up. He had somehow, she had allowed, in the midst of her depression and depravity, had allowed this, this kid to, to speak to her and, 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 and give audience to this kid. The only person alive who she would give two minutes to was this kid. And I, I talked to him about, you have a very specific, you have a voice that no other human being on this planet has. And I tell that story to say there are people in our lives that we have a voice in their mind and in their life that very few, if, if any, people have. And that is our mission for us to see who those, for me, I have four kids who I have a voice in their, in their life more than anybody else does. I get to, to present and speak gospel to their life every day. You have people in your life. And the, the point of of this portion of the message is, for, is to get your mind spinning to find out what person has God given you that you have a, a unique voice in their life because God has placed those kind of people in your life. And it's, it's very purposeful. And that is one of the missions for your life. When we talk about this Christmas spirit, that's what it is. Reproducing in others what God has produced in us to begin to, to, to work that out and, and push that out. And I think about all the different opportunities God has given me to, to invest and disciple in people. And there's people all over the country who, who have, I've gotten to invest in. And then I think about the people that have invested and poured into me. And it's a, a reproducing cycle. And that is the, the, one of the number one missions in our life is to begin to reproduce in people. First family and second, 
is friend. God has given your heart leanings and he's given you a voice among friends um, to affect them for Christ. We have to pay attention to that. And the third thing is work slash school. Everybody, God has placed us in this in a, the particular context that he's placed us to begin to, to have influence and to begin to reproduce what Christ has produced in us. And all of this comes back to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. We are to give to our mission as Christ gave to his mission. He became poor so that we could become rich. He became less so that we could connect with the Father and understand who he is and, and, and connect in that way. We are called to become less so that others that God has given us mission towards can become more. Connect our hearts to that. Two things now. The idea of Christmas should shape our prayer all year long. I want to read a couple of, uh, or one extended passage from, from this book. And it, it comes from this, this concept, prayer exposes our need from the gospel. This is a book that uh, a friend of mine recommended. It's called The Praying Life, uh, written by a guy named Paul Miller. Um, you can pick it up on Amazon for like 15 bucks, and I highly, highly recommend it. I'm about halfway through it, and it's an amazing book. And you'll see in just a second when I read an extended excerpt from it. But uh, it's, it's very practical for us, very uh, heart-connecting for us, because if we are going to live out this mission that I just spent the first 10 minutes talking about, we have to begin to, to seize the vehicles that God has given us to be able, if we're going to reproduce, we have to have something produced in us. And it's not something that happened once and now it's done. It's something that is a continuing process on and on and on. And the first thing that I want to talk about for that production inside of us is prayer. And prayer exposes our need from the gospel. And, and as we, we talk about these two things that prayer does, understand that prayer is not so that we can gain things, we can get things, we can make a laundry list of stuff for God, but it instead it begins to, to shape and mold us. I want us to, to see that. The, the, the story that I'm going to read here, um, the author, Paul Miller, has a daughter named Kim who is uh, 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 a savant and, and doesn't speak. Uh, and she's she got issues and, like, uh, mental problems that she, she's not able to speak, and she's like a teenager. And she has an, uh, Kim has a sister named Ashley, another one of Paul Miller's daughters, and uh, he, she has been praying for Kim to be able to speak for her whole life. And that's where the, the story picks up. Listen, listen closely to it so we can, because it moves pretty quickly. It says, prayer was no mere formality with, for Ashley. Ashley is the, the healthy one. She had taken God at his word and asked that he would let Kim speak. But nothing had happened, and Kim's muteness was a testimony to a silent God. Prayer, it seemed, doesn't work. Few of us have Ashley's courage to articulate this quiet cynicism or spiritual weariness that develops in us when heartfelt prayer goes unanswered. We keep our doubts hidden even from ourselves because we don't want to sound like bad Christians. No reason to add shame to our cynicism so our hearts shut down. The glib way people talk about prayer often reinforces our cynicism we end our conversations with, I'll keep you in my prayers. We have a vocabulary of prayer speak, including I'll lift you up in prayer and I'll remember you in prayer. 
Many of us use these phrases, including us, never get around to praying. Why? Because we don't think prayer makes much difference. Cynicism and glibness are just part of the problem. The most common frustration is the activity of praying itself. We last about 15 seconds, and then out of nowhere, the day's to-do list pops up in our minds, and we are off on a tangent. We catch ourselves, and by sheer force of will, we go back to praying. Before we know it, it's happened again. Instead of praying, we're doing a confused mix of wandering and worrying. Then the guilt sets in. Something must be wrong with me. Other Christians don't have this trouble praying. And after five minutes, we give up, saying, I'm no good at this. I might as well get some work done. Something is wrong with us. Connect our hearts with the gospel as he's talking here. Something is wrong with us. Our natural desire to pray comes from creation. We are made in the image of God. Our inability to pray comes from the fall. Evil has marred that image. We want to talk to God, but we can't. The friction of our desire to pray, combined with our badly damaged prayer antenna, leads to constant frustration. It's as if we've had a stroke. Complicating this is the enormous confusion about what it makes for a good prayer. We vaguely sense that we should begin by focusing on God, but not ourselves. So when we start to pray, we try to worship. That works for a minute, but it feels contrived. Then guilt sets in and we wonder, did I worship enough? Did I really mean my worship? In a burst of spiritual enthusiasm, we put together a list. But praying through the list gets dull and nothing seems to happen. The list gets long and cumbersome when we lose touch with many of the needs. Praying feels like whistling in the wind. When someone is healed or helped, we wonder if it would have happened anyway. And then we misplace our list. Praying exposes how self-preoccupied we are and uncovers our doubts. It is easier on our faith not to pray. After a few minutes, our prayer is in shambles. Barely out of the starting gate, we collapse on the sidelines, cynical, guilty, and hopeless. And I, I read that to, to make this one simple statement. Prayer. We try. We fail. But God accepts us, and God loves us. Prayer is not just about, God, would you heal my sister? God, would you heal my dad? God, would you bring peace to my life? God, would you give this to me? Prayer is about connecting our hearts with the gospel. And as I, I read through that, and as I read through the, the, the whole of that, and how we, does your mind connect with that? Have you been there before? Man, I prayed for this, and it happened, and there's doubt in my mind that it would have happened anyway. Or you pray, and you, some, oh man, I really need to go and take care of this problem. I, or, man, I, I got to go and, and pick up my kids in about an hour, and so I, I forget about what I'm, and, and I'm, I'm lost in a world of distraction. We want to pray. There's a craving and a desire in us to pray that comes from creation, but there is a fall that has corrupted us. Prayer connects our heart with the gospel, and it connects not just that we try and we fail and God accepts us, but the beauty of that is God encourages us to come to him because he knows that he will provide for us what we need. So prayer connects our heart with the gospel. Prayer also connects our heart with the Father. One of the best things about Saturday and Sunday morning for me is waking up 
my kids, uh, the, the little ones are of the age now that they wake up and they can kind of be self-contained for a while until Jen and I wake up or until Cooper decides to yank out half of Hannah Grace's hair and the world collapses. So we get to, Jen and I get to kind of lay in bed and, and just be warm. And one of my favorite things about Saturday, Sunday morning is, is I call one of them in. I, I just say, hey, Cooper, or, hey, Mia, hey, Hannah, come, come in here. And they come into bed and especially for Mia, she'll come in and she's always, she likes to wear uh, pajamas and, and, and no shoes, no slippers. She doesn't like to put her slippers on. And whenever I call her in on her Saturday or Sunday morning, her feet are freezing. And what I do is I, I bring her in and, and she's kind of cold too. And, and I, I hug her and, and get her warm. And she puts her feet, her cold feet in between my legs so she can get her feet warm. And that's sort of our little daddy daughter thing. It's really cool. Really, uh, cool that I get to provide for her in that simple way. And, and she knows as soon as she gets into bed, she's wanting to put her feet, her cold feet, onto my legs so they can get warm. And so we sit there and we talk. And one of the questions that I ask her all the time is, why did God give you, give me to you? Why did God give me to you? And her answer is to protect me. And then I say, why did God give you to me? And she says, to make daddy's heart happy. And the, the point of, and this is, you know, all in the midst of cold feet and her being cold and the morning has just started and, and I bring her into my arms and I hold her and I, and my warming her feet is the picture of that protection. And my excitement when I wake up on a Saturday or Sunday morning is to call her in there. My excitement to get to provide that for her is the second picture is that God gave Mia to me to make my heart happy. And the, I tell that story to say prayer connects our hearts with the Father. I found that one of the simplest and best prayers in the midst of, of the stress of life, in the midst of the, the stress of, of this season, in the midst of the, the stress of trying to plant the church and provide for my family and and be all these things that God is calling me to be in the midst of that, a simple prayer is Father. It. I've prayed that prayer in the last three weeks hundreds of times. Jen and I are having a fight and I'm overwhelmed with with my sin in the situation or, or Jen's got stress in her life and I'm overwhelmed with that or or something's happened with one of the kids, or, or one, of, one of you guys, or, or somebody else, family, whatever. Father. And my heart goes back to Saturday and Sunday morning when Mia comes running in with cold feet and climbs up into the bed with me. And I wrap my arms and myself around her. She puts her cold feet. Her, her issue, her big issue in life is cold feet. She puts those on me and I provide for her. And it provides joy to my heart. We get all consumed with these huge, massive prayers. Father, connect our mind there. Mia is not consumed with her needs. She's not consumed with a to-do list or worries. She's simply consumed with getting her feet warm and being with her dad. Man, I want us to, to connect there.
Father is a great prayer. It brings us to a moment of joy and a moment of protection, feeling protection. And the theme of the message is reproducing in others what God has produced in us. Prayer connects our heart with the gospel. Prayer connects our heart with the Father. Prayer produces in us things to reproduce in others as for your sake he became poor. The next thing for us to to have producing production in us is study. Uh, Darren Patrick, the pastor of the journey, says this on on their website. The Bible is God's tangible way of directly communicating with us about who He is, what He values, who we are, and why we exist. The list goes on and on. If we want to know anything about God, if we want to know God's thoughts about us, if we want to know our purpose in life and what will happen to us after death, we must go to the only source that deals authoritatively with these concerns. Producing what we can reproduce in others begins with prayer and begins with study. And we are going to attempt in 2010 to resource us as a body, as a church, to study the Word of God deeply so that we can see these things. Connect your mind there. If we want to know anything about God, if we want to know His thoughts about us, if we want to know the, our purpose in life and what will happen to us after death, we must go to the only source that deals authoritatively with these concerns. So many times in situations, conversations, we want to think, we want to talk, we want to sermonize, we want to go to to the study of Scripture. We are to be like Christ. We are to reproduce in people what Christ has produced in us. Prayer and study of His Word. And we are, my hope and desire for us in 2010 is that we, as leaders of this church, would put in our hands resources for us to connect in deep ways with, with the Scripture and connect in deep ways with prayer. Second, the second half of that quote. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. There's a verse you've heard before. But connect with that simple statement. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Let's talk for a second about how God is God. All-knowing, all-providential. He knows what we need to know about Him to connect our hearts with the joy that he provides. He knows what we need to know about him, and he wrote it down so that we could hold it and study it and understand how he is speaking to us. All Scripture is breathed out for God, by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. In other words, it is good for us to engage with God through reading the Bible. Engage with God through reading and studying the Bible. Needless to say, the Bible is something everyone who follows Christ must get in our hands, in our heads, and in our hearts. And the goal that we have in front of us in 2010 is to begin to connect with that, to get the words of Christ, the words of God, in our heads, in our hands, and in our hearts. Uh, there's a, another book that I, I want to recommend. It's How to Read the Bible Book by Book 
by Gordon Fee, and you'll uh, we'll be stuff on the website, and, and uh, if you want to, I'll write that down for you later or whatever, but connect with those. And what we're going to use the blog for coming up in the future is to, to summarize and give context to the New Testament so we can read and study as a church together the depth of what Christ has, God has been saying to us because ultimately we want to live out our purpose and our mission in this life. And that's why we come together as a body of believers to come together and be equipped to go out and live the mission of our lives and live life up close together so we can reproduce in each other and reproduce in those outside of these walls what Christ is producing in us. And that's the, the core here. The message tonight is a lot of times I end with a, a sort of a touchy-feely sort of thing to connect our hearts with in a, in a worshipful state. Tonight is very practical. We desire to live out this reproducing life through our mission, through prayer, and through study. And we want to equip each of us, each of you, in, in that way. The message is very practical. It doesn't end with emotion, but instead a plan to live out these three ideas in 2010. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get a, a chance to, uh, to respond to what God has said to us. Father, I thank you for, for Jesus. I thank you for these people. I thank you for the, the lives that they represent and the lives that they will touch and the lives that have been touched by them and have touched them. God, I pray for a desire and a passion to know you in a, in a deep and intimate way. Connect our hearts with our mission, with prayer, and with study of, of your revelation of yourself, the Bible. God, mold us and shape us for our purpose, for our mission. That we might become poor so that others might become rich. May we give of ourselves for the ultimate joy and pleasure of another. May we give like Jesus gave. Thank you for that beautiful picture. I thank you about how we get to, to engage Christ this season, how you've given us this these concepts of, of Advent and, and how you've come to this. And you, we just engaged you beautifully, Father. I thank you. And now, God, would you continue to produce in us? May we be about reproduction, Father, discipleship, loving, giving. God, we trust you. We give our lives to you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.